This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Morning. Beautiful day out there. In the neighborhood. The sugar beets are coming out, and the piles are getting bigger, and it's looking great. I love this time of year. What do they do to level off the top of the piles? They will take a track hoe and get up on top. They'll actually climb to the top and level out the top. So you aren't the the one that they hire? No. I've seen them do that. I see. (laughs) So, Zeb... When you think of Oregon and Washington, agriculture, what particular product comes to your mind? Oregon and Washington? Yeah. Oregon. In agriculture? Yeah. Timber? No, no. keep going. Uh, after that, it would be cattle. Uh, keep going. <laughs> well, then after that, in Oregon and Washington, it would probably be fishing? Okay, Zeb. What are you I'm trying gonna... to do to me here? <laughs> what would you eat? <laughs> I would eat beef. And apples. <laughs> you, I tried to give you a hint there. Not much of one. Okay, well. Um, let me You're show. not a Johnny Appleseed, let me tell well, you that. Let me just show you a picture oh. of him. Oh, Look you at this. That's the real Johnny Appleseed? That's Oregon's Johnny Appleseed. Yes. Oh, really? And this is his story. So you led me over I the cliff. I led you on, yeah. and, and you failed me. Well, naturally, <laughs> history, it's apples. Apples. <laughs> anyway, so this comes from Frontier. You could have been playing that game all day. You know? <laughs> I know. That's why I had to step in. So this comes from the July 1967 edition of Frontier Times. And so... Uh, Going back to that time, this guy's name is Henderson Llewelling. That's his name. And back where he was back in Iowa, every old-timer told him that he was crazy to even think that he could get these trees, uh, these water-loving trees through the desert. Uh, And even if you somehow did, there's no oxen that uh, team that could pull them through the Rocky Mountains or the Blue Mountains with a wagon that heavy, a wagon loaded with trees, fruit trees. So, but not only did Llewellyn refuse to take the good advice he was offered about giving up the whole thing, he talked about the venture so enthusiastically and convincingly that a couple of neighbors, the Fishers and the Hockets, decided to make the trip with him and his beloved trees. What's more, he calmly announced that since none of the three family heads had ever been west before, the little group would rely on Joel Palmer's do-it-yourself booklet 
Guide to Crossing the Plains. Wait a minute. These people had never left their area. No. And they made a decision to go en masse out to Oregon. Three families. Three families. With a guidebook. With a guidebook. That says, Guide to Crossing the Plains. Would you trust a guy like that for being smart? (laughs) I would question a lot of that. Uh (laughs) But nevertheless. And you laughed at me because I didn't come up with apples. I know. And so today, Oregon's massive fruit industry owes its existence to the persistence and the dogged determination of one man, Henderson Llewellyn. Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed. So, okay, so it's 1843 when Henderson first looked west and began dreaming. That was the year the first great migration had set out across the wide Missouri and the Valley of the Platte. Nearly a thousand people crossed the plains that spring and summer to the beautiful Oregon country, you know, with thoughts of free land and, you know, and and it was. was Weren't there any apples out here then? I don't know if there were. I'm guessing some people probably brought some. What about down in California? I don't know about California. But I would think some people would have brought, tried to bring at least some fruit trees, wouldn't you think? yeah. Yeah. So picture this. It's a beautiful Saturday morning, April 17th, 1847, so it's in the spring, when the little nursery train set out from Iowa. The wagons creaked and rattled, and the oxen grunted and snorted under the strain as they moved slowly across the rolling hills of Iowa and the plains of Nebraska. The wagon full of soil and plants was heavy and would require slow and measured travel, but Llewellyn reasoned that it would be much easier for, for the animals, the women and the children, as well as the plants, to take the trip slowly. So there's three families with kids, okay, so, uh, so it's a small wagon train, you know, five well, wagons. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. five wagons. Five wagons. I see. So this is probably the smallest wagon train to ever assemble for the long historic trek to and beyond the great mountains. And it puffed its way to the top of a high and sandy hill a few days after their journey began. Now, on top of the hill, they stood for a minute and they looked down upon three huge circles made up of prairie schooners sprawled out in the valley below. Okay, so you got the picture there up on this hill. And they looked down, and there's three circles of wagons, another wagon train. Yeah. Okay. It was the gigantic Lot Whitcomb train, largest ever to cross the plains. Enough people were congregated there on the prairie to populate a small city. How many were there? Okay. Uh, I think we'll get to that. Hang on. So after discussing the matter for a short time, Lot Whitcomb... Uh, who was in charge, and a Dr. Eliza White and all of the captains of the big train agreed it would be safer for all concerned if the little Llewellyn train were to attach itself to them, which obviously makes sense. Uh, in event of an Indian attack, uh, a train could not be too big, they thought, and it was almost certain the little train would never make it to the Rocky Mountains without being wiped out by the Cheyennes or the Ogallalas. Uh, on the other hand, there was no band of Indians on the plains crazy enough to attack a wagon train of, get this, 154 wagons. That's big. 150. Now, I have a question for you that okay. knows everything. Okay. Where did they get all the feed for the livestock? 
See, that's that's where people get a little confused because a lot of people think the Oregon Trail is just this single track. Uh-uh. It's spread out for a mile that's right. on each side. In width. In width, that's yeah. That's right. So because, you know, you had to go out a little farther and a little farther for feed for the animals. 150 wagons pulled by a uh, supposition of like four animals per wagon. At least. I mean, we're talking a like bunch of animals. Yeah. 600 and grazing animals. and everything. Plus wow. the horses they rode. Yeah. You know? With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Now, so, and, and what we just said, problems began to rise because of the pasture and the water was not always adequate for uh, all these animals and all the humanity. So Dr. White devised a solution. So, that, like I said, they've got 154 wagons, including the Llewellyn <coughs> train. So the train would be divided into three segments. There would be 50 wagons in the first, 50 in the second, and 54 in the third. The first segment would be sent ahead, followed by the others at intervals, as would allow for adequate grass grass to grow between camping sites. The third group would take the extra four wagons, the Llewellyn group, and be led by a Captain Peter Bonser. And Bonser was experienced, and this is good because, like I said, they had all all the Welling had was this booklet on how to get across the plains. Yeah. So now he had at least an experienced. Uh, I'm glad he didn't lose any guy. of the chapters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, there was a Doctor White who was also experienced, and in addition, he was a medical doctor, which was obviously an asset in, in case of illnesses or accidents, and so. The main wagon train thought that adding these extra four wagons wouldn't be that big of a deal. So the first bunch left. Right. They were ahead of them. And then how long did they wait before the second bunch left? Uh, I don't know, because it said it left enough space so that some of the grass could grow. Maybe so two what? or three weeks. Well, at least, you know, Yeah. I mean, a week wouldn't be enough. No. I don't no. think so. So. Two weeks at the most, or at the least. Yeah, and yeah. The, by the time the third one leaves, that's slim pickings. It is, because you're going to spread out even farther. Yeah. Well, everything went okay until sometime prior to crossing the Platte River, about where Kearney, Nebraska is now. John Fisher, who was with Llewellyn, he was one of the families, he got sick with a critical fever. He suffered intensely, and when he expired, Dr. White confessed he was unable to diagnose the illness. Then shortly after that, Mrs. Fisher and her infant son came down with what appeared to be the same fever. Uh, the die was cast. There were whispered fears of an epidemic, uh, you know, and uh, that crazy wagon load of trees was uh, slowing everybody down. And when Mrs. Fisher and her baby died before reaching Chimney Rock, action had to be taken. 
So Bonzer and White, who were in charge of this last, the third wagon train, decided, you know, something had to be done. And, you know, I don't know what they had, if they had malaria or what disease that took Mr. and Mrs. Fisher and their baby. Sounds like typhoid. A typhoid, yeah, yeah, who knows. So no one really thought Llewellyn would get his precious cargo any further than the Rocky Mountains. So the chore that befell the two leaders was not difficult. They simply stated the facts as they saw them, insisting the big, bulky tree wagon would have to be given up in order for the caravan to make up time uh, lost caring for the, the fishers who had been sick. They'd stopped. In addition, since Mrs. Llewellyn had nursed Mrs. Fisher and her baby, it might be best if they traveled behind the others for a few days to prevent further spreading of this mysterious fever. So they were worried that, you know, there was an epidemic that might hit the whole wagon train. Yeah. You know, the 50 wagons that were in the third group. Well, once again, uh, the determined soul of Henderson Llewellyn stirred. He emphatically refused to give up the wagon with the announcement that he and his wife and his eight children would not only drop behind, they would continue on alone uh, to Oregon Territory. The Hockets, when the chips were down, faithfully stood by the devoted nurseryman and said they would continue as they had begun, even if it took until Christmas next year to complete the trip to the Promised Land. Oh, my. The little group broke off, now only five wagons strong. There would be little protection, you know, if they were attacked by Indians. So five wagons That's uh, by, it. by themselves. Yeah. So the five wagons plodded along up over uh, Robodeau Pass. They rolled, uh, setting their sights on Independence Rock. Uh, the remainder of the journey was made without any incident. There were a few Indian scares and uh, some anxious moments over their need for water. But remember Joel Palmer's book? actually came through providing help whenever it was needed. You're kidding. The book on... So, I guess the book actually was legitimate. Hmm. So, which kind of was surprising. What did the book tell them? I I guess where to stop. We need to get a copy of that book. You know, I would love to see if that's something like that is still out there. That would be fascinating, you know, because it had to show, you know, where to find water, where the streams were, where the pastures were, you know, where to follow. So... So anyway, arriving only a short time after Captain Bonzer's group, they, they, uh, the nursery party pulled in the gates of the Wallatpu Mission, and there was a friend. Don't, don't say that. Don't again, say that again, please. There was anxious talk about an Indian <laughs> uprising. With the advance wagons had come the measles. Oh. Okay. Having no tolerance or resistance to the disease, the Indians were dying in terrible numbers. Oh. You know, uh, you know there's more than one disease that yeah, wiped really. out Indian tribes. Yeah. In addition, uh, Joe Lewis, uh, uh, an Indian, was bitter about being fired from the mission's employ, and he was spreading a rumor among the superstitious Cayuse Indians that Dr. Whitman, you remember him? Yep was poisoning them in order to get more land for his many white friends coming across the mountains. And shortly after Llewellyn's wagon left, they were there, then they left. Shortly after that, uh, it erupted into full-scale massacre of the Whitman, his wife, and ten others. So they left. So they were the first wagon train. Uh, 
Well, no, there were some other wagon trains that had come through. No, no, not, I don't mean that. I mean the first of the breakup of the three, oh, right. 50, 50, and 50. Right. Okay. Yeah. So when the Llewellyns arrived in the Willamette Valley, it had been their intention to open a small dry goods store to tide them over until the trees began to produce. But this long journey had required the use of nearly all the merchandise they had brought uh, over with that for that purpose. Uh, enough remained, though, that they were able to start up a little kind of a store to just kind of keep them, keep them going. Well, 350 plants survived the desert heat, uh, the chill of the mountains, and the, and they actually took a, a raft down the Columbia River, and they'd been growing in the wagon bed for seven months when they were removed and planted in the rich Oregon soil. They were on the wagon train seven, seven months. months. But the, and they had to be, remember this, they had to be watered along the way, too. Oh, my. So the wagon, uh, the word that an Iowa nurseryman with a wagon load of young fruit trees had arrived uh, with the latest immigration spread. And so from all over the countryside, farmers came to make offers. They pleaded for everything or anything. One farmer offered him $3 per plant. But Llewellyn announced, he said, gentlemen, I'm not going to have any trees for sale for three years yeah because uh and then you know uh my mind's made up so Llewellyn had never planned on cornering the fruit market his dream was to see his trees growing all over the new land three years and a new partner later the doors of Llewellyn and meek nursery were open for business and much like johnny's apple seed uh, the two men set off in different directions on a grafting tour yeah Okay, they're going to graft in to other trees, which makes more sense. Uh, So many old ledgers and family records dated as far back as 1850 show entries for money paid to the Llewellyn Traveling Nursery for grafting services. So for many years, uh, the Traveling Nursery was in great demand all over the territory, which then consisted of the entire states of Washington and Oregon. Hmm. So... In 1852, Seth Llewellyn, Henderson's younger brother, came to Oregon by way of California. And Seth was a bootmaker, but he got in business with his brother. And for many years prior to the turn of the century, there was uh, considerable controversy in both Oregon and Washington about who uh, founded the Llewellyn fruit business, Seth or Henderson. Well, in 1905, George Himes, noted historian, wrote a letter to the Oregonian in an attempt to clear up this matter. And here's what it said in the newspaper back then. He said in 1905, every little while an item appears in the papers and is widely copied to the effect that Seth Llewellyn or Llewellyn Brothers brought the first grafted fruit to Oregon. In the interest of accurate statement, it should be stated that Henderson Llewellyn of Salem Henry County, Iowa, conceived the idea in 1845 that it would be a fine thing for a new country like Oregon to have a supply of the best kinds of fruit and at once began to work with that end in mind. When the spring of 1847 came, he was ready to remove to Oregon. Wow. So it was not Seth, his brother. So I know we're about out of time here, but so I'm about done here. So basically all the apple trees in that area today... I, I'm thinking that, yeah. Have the history back to them. They're back to there in 1854. Uh, so in 1854, Henderson looked at the Oregon Territory countryside wow. and saw that his work was good. Almost anywhere he went in the territory, he could see Llewellyn trees. The Pacific Coast had proven to be a wonderful country for fruit, but his work wasn't done. It was then he was struck with another idea. Why shouldn't there be Llewellyn trees all along the Pacific Coast? 
With that, he packed up, leaving Seth, his brother, to care for his organ uh, trees and pulled out lock, stock, and fruit trees for California. No kidding. So that kind of answers that question you had. Yeah, I have another, are you almost done? Just, uh, okay, just I want to ask a question. In 1878, this stubborn and courageous man died. If one knows his story, it's impossible to see a grove hanging of heavy fruit without hearing the voices of the old-timers who said, Henderson Llewellyn, you're crazier than ever to think you can get those trees across the plains, over the mountains, into Oregon and Washington. He did it. And he did it. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. This might be a program we could do in the future. When all the settlers came across down the Oregon Trail and settled over at Oregon City and around that area, when did they first uh, get the idea to have freight come in by boat instead of overland by wagon? That's a good question because, you know, John Jacob Astor, he's the one that wanted to have a, 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 a the, the fur trade. He wanted yeah. a worldwide fur yeah. trade. So he had uh, Astoria, and he set a ship around, uh, and that was somewhat of a failure. But So somehow the ship started coming around uh, South America and started sending goods up the river as far as they could go. That's what I was wondering, because I wondered when was the first uh, group of mercantile ships sent up to that area. You know, I've got a book. Because it would take way too long to do it over land. Yeah, I've got a book about uh, uh, boats on the Pacific. Um, So I'll look through that and see if I can find something about that. That would be a good story. Yeah. I'll do that. Because it would be a lot easier to ship that way. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Boy, go eat an apple. Johnny Appleseed. Look there at this. You go. Look at that guy. He's a weird looking dude, though. You know what? You know, he's got that beard that looks yeah, kind of, uh, snow white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Kind of like yours. Uh, yeah. Old, no, old man. Old man. Yeah. Yes. Uh, great story. But find out about the shipping. I'll do that. I appreciate that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.